0: Hello and welcome to this podcast from Dramoland Castle in County Clare, Ireland. In this series we'll hear about the history of Dramoland Castle, the people who work there and what's on offer to our guests on the vast estate and in the magnificent County of Clare. On today's episode, we meet David Atkinson, who runs the School of Falconry at Dromoland Castle. Falconry is an unmissable part of the Dromoland Castle experience, where you can get up close and personal with mesmerising falcons, hawks and owls all in the castle grounds. David Atkinson runs the School of Falconry at Dromoland Castle and has been flying birds from a very young age. So, how did David first become interested in falconry?
1: Well, I have a really interesting past and it's always been to do with wildlife and conservation and shooting and, and field sports. So in the mid-80s I was studying wildlife and game at Hampshire Agricultural College and I was doing a um, study on red grouse in the Yorkshire moors and I decided I fancied coming to Ireland. So I wrote 27 letters to estates because in those days you had to write letters, there were no emails. And I got one reply, and it was Ashford Castle, so... My Ambassador Curley was setting a project up at Ashford, and he asked when I finished college if I'd come over and help. So, while I had experience of flying hawks and falcons as a boy, it started to generate more interest from, from there on. Coming down to Drumoland in 1990 was just a dream come true, I mean. In those days, the chute comprised of two and a half thousand acres. But we're still left with... Um, the bones of 450, 500 acres here, which comprises of golf course and uh, lots of really interesting biodiversity. So after I'd stepped back from the chute 14 years ago, I I asked Mark if I could set up a school of falconry. And he um, very generously said I could. And I asked him for a little bit of land where we're standing today. And this is where we've created our muse at Drumolden, So it's very much uh, built from the heart. Um, and a muse traditionally in falconry is where you house your hunting birds and the most famous muse in the world is probably the, well, without doubt the one found in Buckingham Palace and you might ask yourself, Pat, uh, what's the royal muse got to do with falconry? Well, predating horses, it was built by King Henry VIII to house the royal hunting birds so muse has an older falconry meaning than it does an equine So here we are today with the product of 14 years of uh, TLC and fun, and we're surrounded by some beautiful birds.
0: Well, tell us exactly, David, what we do have here.
1: Yeah, well, we're looking directly at uh, quite a star performer, Hurricane. And Hurricane is a male peregrine falcon, Falco peregrinus. It's their Latin name, and he's an example of the fastest living thing on the planet. Um, They've been recorded at 246 miles an hour in the stoop. They can out-accelerate, apparently, a Formula One race car. And um, they've been used in falconry for thousands of years. In fact, falconry, they can trace back to 3000 BC when they excavated the Valley of the Tombs. They found lots of lana falcons, mummified, going to the next life. So it was of terrific importance. And to the right of Hurricane, we just happened to have a lana falcon. That little chappy sat on his block at the front, enjoying the sunshine. Is Africa and, and behind we have Isis, who's a big, strong female. So the females in falcons and hawks and all raptors, you know, eagles, vultures, are larger ones. So it's called reverse diamorphism pat. The females are the bosses and the males are the busy little worker birds. So Isis is a lovely example of a peregrine cross saker And what's really interesting about that cross is it very first happened in 1968 in Connemara in Fermoyal Lodge. Nobody had ever crossed to falcon in the history of falconry, and there was a falconer living up there who wrote five or six books on the subject, a very famous uh, falconer, Ronald Stevens, and he had a house guest. And uh, Ronald had a peregrine, and Johnny Morris, apparently, had a saker that he'd, been, he'd acquired when he was down in Persia. And they put the two together because they were short of space, and yeah, hey presto. And because they're such an honest and and biddable bird to work, they're a very popular cross to this day. So that's Isis. And then we have a selection of Harris Hawks going um, several females at the back. We have Aria and next to Aria is her sister Grace. And you can't actually see Brian because he's sat behind a rose bush. And Alice is our big dominant female. She's just out of molt, so she looks a million dollars. You know, she's got Mm -hmm. all her brand new feathers and they molt every year. They produce these feathers every year. So tremendous energy goes into that. But what's interesting about a raptor's molt is they only molt two key feathers at a time. When they're three quarters grown, it triggers the next two to drop out. So it's an ongoing process. So Alice is gleaming with good health and good feather quality. And then at the front we have um, Ophelia, Derbyshire, and the very far one over is Slaney, which is a famous O'Brien O'Brien name. Slaney, a lot of the ladies in the O'Brien family, which has you know obviously is the uh, Dromoland, is the home Mm. of the O'Briens, have been called Slaney over the years. And then behind us are our owls. So that big guy looking at us with the orange eyes, and uh, what people often. Misinterpreters as he is, but they're not. They're, they're mood indicators, is Alvin. and um, Alvin's certainly not from County Clare. He's a Bengalese Indian Eagle Owl. Now, the owl in the next compartment is an all-star around Drumoland. People follow him and talk about him all over the world. In fact, regularly we have guests coming in through the gate, and the first thing they're asking about <laughs> is Pickles. <laughs> and you can see why Pickles is a, a real character very social, loves to interact with people, but he's a dark-breasted barn owl, and beyond pickles is what we have on the estate, because we have only have, and that's a common barn owl, and his name's Pooka. We only have three species of owl in, in Ireland, in the wild, and we have two of them nesting at Drumoland. These indicator species, are, the predators are an indicator species, and if they're in good fettle, their balance maintains. But if there's something going wrong with the environment, they're the first to show. And that's how peregrines, they were nearly extinct in the 60s because of DDT. And we took notice of where D, the effect DDT was having by the effect it had on the peregrine population. And thankfully, we were able to step in there and do something about it.
0: In terms then, first of all, of caring for the bird, how big a job is that?
1: Well, i describe it not so much as a job, but a way of life. So if you're in love the outdoors and you're passionate about nature, it's, it's, it's kind of a joy. So during lockdown, it's been really frustrating. And we've had a really good team up here for years that uh, did a great job. And obviously they've had to step back from it because of uh, of what's been going on with covid but um, i've really enjoyed it i've really enjoyed the hands-on every day weighing them flying them um you know just just enjoying what they're all about which leads on to other wildlife and other experiences out and about on this magnificent estate i consider myself very lucky lockdown or no lockdown and i said to myself at the start of lockdown i kind of thought well how are we going to handle this and i thought well Financially, we're ruined, but I'm going to come out of it stronger and more positive in every other way I possibly can. And that's what we've tried to do, you know, and we've carried on creating what we're developing. And we didn't have any guests to share, but we've uh, developed a lovely um, wildflower garden, which is right behind you, where if you came in another two months, you'd be knee deep in poppies and cornflowers and head high sunflowers. They're all in there raring to go, which has an offset to the bee population and the insect populations. And we've also a policy now of growing all our own vegetables on site here. So hopefully if the staff and when the staff come back, there'll be lots of veggie sharing.
0: So it's all good. And going from the caring to preparing the birds to meet the public, do you have to work with them to ensure that they can socialise?
1: Is there a training involved? Oh, very much so. And that training in falconry is called manning. And it boils down to man hours spent with them, so they get really familiar with you. And every bird, like a human, has individual traits and tricks. And you, you, you can't just go at it. Uh, you have to analyze each one separately and sp- spend quite a lot of time with them. You
0: know. When guests book a session with David, what can they expect?
1: Well, our main aim is to introduce them to falconry which is uh, arguably the oldest form of hunting known to man. But by bringing them out into the woods and letting them fly a hawk to the fist, it's an experience that they never forget. And you're sowing a little seed, and it's up to them to go away and to enhance that passion and to pour water on the seed and let it sprout and germinate. And by that, you're having a massive knock-on effect to nature in general, because you're raising people's awareness and I always say, the reason our hawk walks are so successful is we're not just a hawk walk. We are a nature walk. We talk about all different sorts of subjects. Um, our staff in the past and, and myself have um, a lot of experience in life and, and uh, conservation. And we love sharing it. It's our passion. So if you lead with passion, Everybody jumps on board and they become passionate too. So you get lots of smiles with the hawk walk. We normally meet outside reception at the castle, just at the bottom of the main steps. And we have the bird that we're going to work with on a bow perch, and we introduce them to the bird, firstly, and then to ourselves. And we describe what's going to happen and in what order, roughly, on on the walk. And when you're working with wildlife and animals, all things can go haywire, but they normally go according to plan. And we introduced them to the ancient art of hawking through these fantastic woods, these deciduous woods that were planted out as a sporting estate 300 years ago. And we have the benefits of that. And when I very first started, somebody said to me, Dave, you you want to design somewhere where your birds can perform? I said, I have it. We're so lucky to have 500 acres of it. We don't need to We don't need to design a place for... And we specialise in small groups, Pat. We love to get the families out, twos and up to sixes. And we do do the odd larger job, but we try to stay away from exhibiting. As you can see, it's really private up here. And as well as we enjoy it ourselves as falconers, we um, keep it private for the birds because it's their little escape. So we meet the guests in front of the castle, and then we head off normally through the temple wood area, the small oak copse, which is a crazy name for a wood with the largest beech tree in Ireland in it. But anyway, maybe down to the River Rhine, which is a beautiful river that flows through the estate into the Fergus, as you know, and then into the Shannon, which is the, the, the main artery of Ireland, the largest river in Ireland and indeed even larger than anything in Britain. Yeah, we have it all on the estate and then we meander our way back up after, after time flying the birds through the woods and we introduce them to who we keep at the mews and the muse is a very special spot as you're witnessing. We talk about each bird individually with the guests and introduce them to the owls, bring them in and we teach them how they weigh the birds which we do every day and how telemetry a tracking system works, how the relevance of a bell and the different types of training methods flying to the lure with falcons, flying to the fist with hawks. So we explain it all and like I say uh, we, we allow an hour to an hour and a half per party but it regularly goes to two, two and a half hours and if our bookings aren't too busy we're certainly in a rush because we love sharing. It's it's just got to be done, you know, we've got to sow the seed.
0: There will be a lot of well-known sayings there that go back falconry wrapped around your finger is the only one I can think yeah. of at the top of my head, but yeah. I think has a falconry
1: connection. Are there others? You must be Rolling Stones fan singing, thinking of that straight <laughs> and wrapped right around my little finger, Mick Jaggers. There are there's Hoodwinked, Out of Sight, Out of Mind, No Crime in Fair Trade, End of Your Tether. Shakespeare's plays, Pat, were written in falconry speak. In the 15th century, it was hugely popular. So yeah, had Bowsing, where boozing came from. It's endless, and it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, under the thumb.
0: David, apart from the falcons, the owls, are there other interesting, unusual species of birds on mm. the estate as well? Well, we do a couple of conservation
1: projects, which are really interesting. And one of our old falconers, uh, Colin Dallaghan, re- in conjunction with ourselves, did a fantastic project on common and migratory snipe, jack snipe. At the moment, we've got a a SWIFT project going, and these SWIFTs come to us every year from Africa. They don't stop flying for the first three years of their life. They're airborne 24 hours a day. They can fly up to 500 miles a day. And what I'd noticed several years ago, we used to have them nesting in the castle, and I was one of the only people. I used to walk into cars watching the SWIFTs fly past in formation, so like Spitfires, you know, and the Battle of Britain. They were fantastic. But I noticed the numbers were going down and I think there must have been some work done on the roof, maybe blocked up a couple of traditional nesting holes because they use the same hole for the rest of their lives, you know, where they nest. So I've acquired some swift nesting boxes and I put, it up on one of the, put them up on one of the turrets with a call. And the first swift came to us last year on May the 11th. So we're really looking forward to May this year to see if we can coax the swifts into re-establishing Dromoland as their their habitat in Clare. Because the hard work they put in to get to us, they're remarkable. They don't ease off when they fly into the nesting boxes. They go in at 40 miles an hour, straight into the nesting boxes. And I can imagine guests sitting out by the fountain, looking up at the nesting (laughs) box on the turret, having a glass of bubbles or a pint of dark vines on a sunny summer's evening, just watching these swifts come in. The moment the chicks hatch they spend six or seven weeks getting flight fit in the nest they eat like mad for the first four to five weeks and then they go on this diet and start doing a regime of like press-ups with the wings normally about the end of the seventh week they're fit enough then and they leave that nest and they go straight back to africa and the parents follow on several weeks later most remarkable bird and if we can encourage people by this to look into swifts and maybe put up a few nesting boxes of themselves and give it a go. And there's no harm in failure, but if you don't try, you'll never know. Yeah.
0: The estate itself then, you must know almost every inch of it at this mm. stage. Have you a favorite spot on the estate?
1: Yeah, well, being here since 1990, I, I literally would like to think I know nearly every inch of it. And while it, I'd like to say I enjoy it all, um, I love the small oak copse area where the big beech tree and I love dropping down to the river Rhine on that slow meandering bend. But this morning I was walking the river bank below it and a kingfisher popped out and just darted across into the other bank where it must be nesting and it never ceases to amaze me what's in front of us and just pegging the birds out here this morning putting them on the perches. I looked over where Slaney is behind and there were two tufts of fallow deer. There and a load of droppings, so the deer have been in overnight grazing on our plants. But they're more than welcome to have a casual graze, so it's a favourite spot. There are so many highlights, so many highlights, we're spoilt for choice. You could name the Temple of Mercury, the walled garden,
0: it's just endless. There have been developments as you say and new paths and new tracks as well, taking in the wonderful scenery, the wonderful forestry here as well and opening up the estate more to the guest. Very much so,
1: and that's vital going forward. And we're learning all the time by sharing, um, by sharing knowledge and experience We're promoting conservation. And the best way to do that is to get people out into it. I mean, we have lesser horseshoe bats that overwinter in the hermit's grotto. We've just talked about the kingfisher this morning. I saw hares on the golf course, fallow deer, that have been here for centuries, escapees from the old O'Brien's Deer Park, you know? It's so diverse. And why not share it? Dragonflies in the lily pond, uh, bluebells, even down to lichen. So you know those little lichens? They're the most diverse organism. And you know the word symbiotic was invented just to describe those. So there's one species living off another, fungi and algae in the case of lichen. And they're found on the stone all over Dromoland. And that lichen can be found from sea level to 19 and a half thousand feet. That's that's quite amazing. In fact, I'm symbiotic with Dromoland. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good way to be, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Yeah. To find out more about Dromoland Castle and all that we have to offer, visit dromoland.ie or find us on Facebook or Instagram. You can listen to If These Walls Could Talk on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we look forward to welcoming you soon.